And welcome to G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller. And I had to get that echo out of there. So this is Ricky Gantz with Mike Miller. We are G220 Radio. We are here with episode number 555. And we're going to be talking about why Calvinism is bad. And um, that is not our position. For those who listen to G220 Radio, you know we are reformed here. We are uh, hold to the, the doctrines of grace. Uh, but our guest is going to be on. Um, he claims to be a former Calvinist. And so we're going to have him on and we're going to have this conversation and hear him out and uh, you know discuss it from there. Mike, how are we doing, brother? I'm, I'm doing, doing pretty good. I'm trying to get Facebook up or not Facebook, YouTube up. Try to get the scammer early. So oh, just yeah. Gonna, just two weeks in a row. You just never know. Those trolls, scammers. I'm on like troll bot watch. Um, we had some things happen at work and I'm just in the mindset. Yeah. Yeah, we got to keep an eye out for that, uh, and so we will monitor that in the chat room. All right, so we're going to go ahead and bring on our guest. Our guest is Andrew Yanucci, and uh, I probably said that wrong. I'm not sure. Did I say that you right? Did okay. You did good, All right, Andrew Yanucci, and so he's on the program with us. Now, Andrew and I, you prefer Andrew or Drew? I think you put Drew. I, go, I usually go by Drew. Okay, so Drew and I met through a local group. Uh, city group here. Uh, I put it out that I was looking for some conversations on a few different topics. And I, I believe the interaction we had was over free will. Does man have the free will to come to God? And so we had a, a little interaction um, in Messenger, on Facebook Messenger. And then he agreed, uh, Drew agreed to have a conversation. And then he said he would like to talk about why Calvinism is bad. And I said, absolutely, we can do that. So we're going to hear him out as why, why he believes Calvinism is bad. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things I, I want to say right from the get-go, because I, I do think it's important, we were talking a little bit before the program, we're reformed here. And I think every time we've had individuals on the show that we've disagreed with, we've had we've done so graciously uh, and with respect, because it's important to, to do that in dialogues. Um, but some of the time, when I, when I shared this episode, I was watching... Mm -hmm my reformed Calvinistic friends, like with some of the comments. And I, and I thought to myself, like, guys, as, as Christians, as those who hold to the doctrines of grace in our interactions with other people who may not be there or may not agree with us, um, unless they're heretical. Um, and even if they're heretical, we, we want to do it with love and grace and compassion. We want to see people come to the truth. So let us be gracious. And so in this conversation, hopefully we can display that here from G220 Radio, uh, that we are seeking to have a conversation with uh, a, an individual who um, I don't know personally. He doesn't know me personally, um, but professes to be a Christian. And so therefore, we're going to have a conversation as such and, and treat him as such. Um, <clears throat> and so with that being said, uh, Drew, why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself, how you came to know the Lord, um, and to the point where you are today and, and why you believe Calvinism is bad. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. And, um, well, I was raised a Christian <clears throat> by my mother and, um, but you know, as I grew into my teenage years, I moved away to be with my dad and, um, I definitely fell away from the faith and uh, it wasn't until my mid thirties when I guess I had um, done some things that I really was, wasn't proud of. I had a lot of shame and things. So um, that was how I came to um, call on the Lord for forgiveness and uh, repent and believe, believe in him, you know, believe that he died for my sins. And um, <clears throat> it's been through that journey, it's been a lot of different steps along the way since then. I'm 42 now. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's, it hasn't just been like one, I can't think of one instance where that happened, but <clears throat> I know that I needed him and he was there for me. And he's been directing my steps. I feel like when I'm, when I'm walking in his steps the whole way. So I've gone from, one sort of one preacher to another as i've learned and um you know put some of the other the things behind me and 
And I, I eventually came to be a Calvinist. I started listening to guys like MacArthur and Sproul and <clears throat> a bunch of those guys, Vody Balcom. I love all those guys. They're great preachers. Love the, you know, they love the Lord. I have no doubt. And, and let me just say this too real quick. It's just because I think Calvinism is bad does not translate to Calvinists are bad. You know, um, that's not where I'm coming from at all. <clears throat> but having fully believed in the five points um, of Calvinism, uh, it wasn't until I started having some questions about some other theological stances I was being taught that I started to started to question all the things that I had been taught and to test them for myself by reading, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to me as I read them and you know studying listening and then and then listening to the opposing sides um without um you know prejudice or something like to really take it in and see where they're coming from before i say well this guy told me this view is bad so <clears throat> therefore i'm not going to listen to anything these guys had to say and that's kind of where i was at for you know a couple years of listening to some of those guys so um that's how i came to come out of calvinism i will go into more detail but that's basically where i'm at now yeah. I think one of the things that we would want to encourage people to do, and, and, and I even do it at our church, my pastor does it, you know, when I'm teaching Sunday school, I, I bring this up uh, more than once, is that what we teach, we don't want those who are listening <clears throat> to only believe what we are teaching because we are the ones teaching it. We want everyone needs to get into the Word of God, study to show themselves approved, and test the things that are being you know, said from the pulpit or from the teaching uh, in the church, not that you're, you're doing it and you shouldn't be doing it, I guess, with a malicious intent to find everything where you're, you disagree on things. Right. But sometimes we, we uh, may say something that comes off the wrong way, or maybe we may be in an error in a theological position that we have. And so some others in the church that are looking at it, studying to show themselves approved, testing those things and maybe bringing it up. It's iron sharpening iron and saying, Hey, have you ever considered this? And so where you then can have those kind of conversations um, because it is important and it's a, the best way to not be deceived by false teaching or the errors that are out there in the world is to know the word of God for yourself. You can't just, Absolutely. you can't go to heaven when that day comes and you stand before the Lord and say, well, I believe this, this, and this because this person told me it. No, you need to know what you believe, why you believe it, according to the scriptures, uh, and then be able to, I mean, obviously we're all continuing to learn and grow, so nobody knows everything, but be able to defend those things that you believe. And then maybe in those areas where you don't have uh, the most knowledge, you just continue to keep studying and growing till you come to the position that you may have. Mike, any thoughts on that yourself? I mean, yeah, you <clears throat> we're finite beings trying to understand an infinite God. And while he has revealed to us, we can know true things about him. Scripture is sometimes difficult to fully understand everything. Obviously, it's clear on the gospel. It's clear on other important doctrines we need but even in kind of these debates they happen because some scripture is clear others are not how we understand those how they fit together always make a difference and that's why having these conversations are good i mean orthodoxy comes out of heresy not saying that jewish positions heresy but in general it's that you have that idea of these discussions refine. <clears throat> um, and even in the, this discussion, it's been going on for 1600 years. <clears throat> it's good to go over and think and look at the new evidence. And as doctrine has developed, we can very much draw those kind of lines a little bit clearer and hopefully gaining more knowledge of our Lord. Yeah. And one of the things as we were talking about in getting started about being gracious in the conversations, I do want to say that as believers and those who hold to reform theology and do evangelize, 
we just got done doing an evangelism outreach this past weekend <clears throat> and we had brothers out there that were not reformed with us that love the Lord, know the gospel, preach the gospel. Um, and so we have those differences that we can sit down over coffee or just hanging out and discuss those things theologically. Um, but unless someone holds to a heretical view, uh, we want to be gracious and extend, you know, uh, that, that, I don't want to say the right hand of fellowship. We're not in the church here, but want to extend that, uh, you know, grace to other brothers who, again, may not be where we are or where they are. We may not be where they are theologically. So it's important for us to 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 know that uh, or put that out there up front. So, um, Drew, as we talk about Calvinism is bad, you said you held to the five points of Calvinism. Now. I'm taking your word for that. I'm not trying to challenge that or anything, but from my experience, a lot of times the individuals that I've come in, in contact with and experience doesn't always dictate truth. Right. So I don't know from, from where you are, but where I've come into contact with individuals who would say, I used to be a Calvinist. I used to hold to the five points. And I often find that they don't, they didn't really fully understand the five points. Now, again, I'm not saying you don't, I don't know where you're coming from in this, but maybe can you explain what you believe those five points were and how, uh, what, when did you, did you deny all of them? Do you think they're all bad or, 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 or what? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think I understood them pretty well as, as well as most, you know, people who aren't, um, say, you know, a full-time theologian or a scholar or something. I, um, like you said earlier about defending the faith, you know, so when I started learning these things, I really did want to be able to defend my faith to people, you know, um, if I'm talking to somebody, I don't want to be like, uh, 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 you know, clueless out there because you didn't study it. So I did, I did have a pretty good understanding of the five points. And <clears throat> I would say where I'm at now, I don't think that any of them are correct. Um, but I did believe all five points, total depravity, unlimited I'm sorry, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, um, irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints. I mean, I understand them pretty well and I understand where they where they come from. And I think that those texts lend themselves to those thoughts, you know, but it wasn't until I got a greater understanding of the full context of those scriptures and the full context of the whole Bible that I start to <clears throat> realize that I had to ignore a lot of verses and chapters and books in order for those points to hold up. That's, <clears throat> that's where I started to really um, pull away from it because I'm starting to see more and more. So as I was questioning it, uh, that was when I started to listen to uh, some of the other takes on some of those scriptures. Like, well, if this, you know, <clears throat> the different types of proof texts, you know, can be understood in, in um, other ways. Whereas, um, I think the rest of the Bible can't be understood any other way than what God has presented it. So that was how I came to come away from those points, you know, but <clears throat> it's like I said, it started with testing scripture uh, in a whole another area. And that was um, being taught dispensational premillennialism. And <clears throat> it was as a, a, ser a sermon that I was listening to talking about some of those, uh, you know, the, the, the Antichrist and different things and the seven years and these things. And so I started having some questions about that. And um, when I, once I studied that, I, I realized that that couldn't be true. You know, that what I was being taught did not hold up biblically at all. I understood where they get it from. There's a, a handful of proof texts that they use. Um, but when you compare it to the rest of Scripture, you have to start throwing out scriptures because they don't work, you know. Um, so it was at that point that I realized I should just go ahead and, and test everything I've been taught. And um, so that was what I started doing. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I wouldn't hold to any of the five points anymore. Um, and that's where I'm at now, you know. I mean, I, you know, I'm always willing to have my mind changed through Scripture. I don't want it to come from anywhere else, any other opinions or this book or that book, you know. Um, and I think those things can be good. It's good to read other things and opinions and, and take all that stuff in, you know. But when it comes to Scripture, it needs to be tested against Scripture. And that's the only way. So 
I, I just, I'm a lot um, more willing to hear opposing things, you know, and then test it, you know, like I'll have a conversation, say, you know, if you, you know, I had a conversation with a uh, Jehovah's Witness at work who wanted to tell me all the things about Jehovah's Witnesses. I listened to what he had to say. Um, I didn't know, I knew some about what they taught, but not entirely. Then I tested it and you realize real fast that that does not hold up, you know, mm-hmm. just a lot of things that don't hold up. So I think Calvinism is, is a lot more tricky than some of those things, you know? And um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I would say with dispensationalism as well, um, when you compare it to scripture, you're going to have, because again, we're not dispensationalists here, you're <clears throat> going to find, okay, these things don't fit. Uh, and as we were talking about before the program, I think this can often lead people then to want to question everything that they've been taught. And rightfully so, we should seek to <clears throat> know that the things that we're being taught are in line with Scripture. I think it's completely opposite of what you said, though, as far as like the scriptures as a whole not fitting with Calvinism, Um, because I think we see that throughout the entirety of the scripture. I mean, we see God takes Israel as his chosen people above every other nation. He doesn't save the other nations. He actually has the other nations, especially in the land of Canaan, put to death. God has this special people that he chooses. Before we even get to Israel, God brings forth Abraham, just calls him out of the land of Ur. Abraham's not looking for God. He just calls him out, and then he tells him to go into a far-off country. And then we see that calling with um, Isaac being that chosen seed, not Ishmael, Isaac. And then Jacob and Esau, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And you see this continuous line that God has brought forth all the way from the beginning when he has the children of God, the the sons of God who intermix with the daughters of men. I'm not going to get into that conversation, Mike, about what those could be, but I don't believe it was angels. But uh, I'm on. It's the only, it's the only thing okay. it says. That's a, that's a tough one there. I'm, honestly, yeah. I'm undecided on that, you know, but. But you have this this line, and, and so I think you see that in the scriptures. Mike, I think you would attest to that as well, right? Like, I think the uh-huh. scriptures as a whole give us the reason, the basis for why we believe Calvinism. Again, and we use that term as, an, as a label to identify what we're talking about here today. Yeah. But I think ultimately that's what we see in scripture. Mike? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. Obviously, even our eschatology positions between Ricky and I are different. Um, and so there is room even there for there. Um, but yeah, like Ricky says, I think, and this is important, kind of even as you know, as you were talking, Drew, um, that proof texts are good, but they need to be understood not only within the context in which they show up in the book, <clears throat> but in a biblical theological sense um, throughout all of scripture and to think through how those fit in and yeah like you said questioning obviously i may not that tradition is equal to scripture um but very helpful as Mm -hmm. god reveals and so we may have you know a little bit more um i may broaden my nets a little bit more for arguments thinking through that though obviously there's a difference but i know there's some people on facebook um just to kind of help move the conversation and that line is kind of what do you believe kind of in regards to sociology and then how does that kind of i guess in some sense defending your position and so we don't bury the lead of the show I would say I lean towards uh, provisionism, like God's provided a way for all men to reconcile to him. What that looks like for everybody, I don't know. I'm not God. You know, I have no clue. But I believe that when God says he loved us, you know, before we were sinners, he loved everyone, you know. And when it comes to like Israel, um, God uh, chose Israel for sure. Um, But his choosing of them was for his purposes is not to salvation. I would say that 
I look at that through the lens that God chose Israel for his purposes, but not all of Israel is saved. So <clears throat> you have a group of people that he chose clearly, um, but it was up to them to walk in his ways or not, you know? Um, so that's just like one way of looking at those things differently. Like just same with Abraham, you know, and Abraham, it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Um, he also did the thing that God told him to do, you know? So, and he, that him doing the thing that God commanded him, him obeying was evidence of his faith in what God told him. Um, so, um, but yeah, I would say it's provisionism. Um, maybe you call it tra traditionalist or something, or um, I don't really know exactly what Arminius teaches, um, what that all entails. I haven't really gotten that far into that. Um, but what I have heard, I would agree with most of that, but I don't know it well enough to say, oh, I'm an Arminian or something. I personally don't love labels. I think that we're all Christians and th that the Bible did teach us to not separate on these issues, to stay as one body. Um, to those who believed in Christ Jesus, um, we're together, you know, so that's how I look at it. Um, I know there's a lot of splits. I mean, there's thousands upon thousands of denominations and beliefs and stuff. And I think some of that stuff you can agree to disagree on. I think you can't agree to disagree on who Christ was and what he did for us and what that meant, you know. So that's where I would say I fall more towards like provision. I think God loves us and he provides a way. And the revelation is different for everybody, but it's a or say it's enough to that he's calling you towards him. Um, I would say that if you look at Genesis in the garden, <clears throat> when God commanded Adam and Eve, um, told them what to do, commanded them to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, that was the one thing that they couldn't do. And then they did that one thing. So after that, uh, God calls for them and they answer him and they're, they've already hid themselves, right? So they're in hiding after their sin. They know they've sinned. God calls to them. They respond. They, then they tried to, they tried to cover their sin themselves, right? They sewed fig leaves together. But God, being gracious and loving, atoned for the he he covered their sins with a sacrifice of an animal um, to cover their sins as an atonement. And I think that is a picture. It's a beautiful picture of what it is like for all men. You have this disobedience, hiding, God calling, them responding, and then them trying to cover it themselves works and then god covering it for them and i think that is a it's a beautiful picture and i was actually i never i never heard that anywhere or read that um and it came to me as i was reading and, and kind of like just brushing up on some of this stuff for this where it presented itself and i thought that's just one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen there what he did for them and i think that's a picture of our of our relationship with god i really do well, I, I, I would agree that I definitely think we see God's grace and mercy upon uh, Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned against against him by uh, slaughtering those animals. It's a picture. It's a type of what Christ was going to experience right. being the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Um, but what I also see there in, in the garden is that while they hid themselves, they weren't seeking God. They were spiritually then dead because God said, the day that you eat of this, you shall die. Mm -hmm. You will die. And they did spiritually die. They were separated then from God. That union that they had with God in the garden was, was separated. And so they weren't seeking. They weren't asking God to cover them. They were trying then to cover their shame themselves. God slaughters the animals. God covers them. So this, again, we see God doing this, this work, this initial work here. Um, and so, so real yeah, quick, go ahead. I would just say that what you see, though, is, is they hid themselves from God, 
God called and they responded. I think right there is where we would differ because I understand the, the spiritual deadness. I don't believe that translates to uh, total inability. So God called to them and they responded. Now they, they had, a, did Adam and Eve have a choice to obey God in the garden or not obey God? Did they have free will when he gave them that command? You know, you got to ask yourself, well, I believe they did, you know, <clears throat> so if they did, they also had a choice to then respond to God's call or not respond to God's call. If we're responsible, that means we have the ability to respond. So that's how I would see that. I would see that difference right there is because I understand where you're looking at that from, um, from that lens, which is that we're dead and God did all the work and Christ did do all the work. We, we can't save ourselves, you know. Um, that's abundantly clear in scripture. And that's what separates Christianity from any other religion or worldview you can have, which is that everyone's taught, you know, to just be a good person, do better. You know, you can save yourself kind of thing. God saves us, but we have to put our faith and trust and obedience and give him our lives to do that. And he makes that possible for us through the gospel. That's how I would see it. Yeah, I think I think some questions that would come up. I, I do believe that God created Adam and Eve uh, mutable, where they would they could change, um, and we see that in the fall. I, I do believe God decreed the fall. He wasn't surprised by it. That brings up a few questions actually that I would like to throw out before we move forward to just kind of see where you are because um, you mentioned you don't believe in total depravity. Uh, do you believe man is born in sin? I mean. It's a tough one. I think that we're all born that we're going to sin. I don't know because for me, I, the way I would look at it, and I, this is, this is tough. And I'm not like you know I'm going to take this and die on this hill here, but um, I think that we're not born sinning, but when we come to a certain position and age in our lives, we all will sin we will all fall short of the glory of god we will all sin that's why christ had to come for us because we can't do that ourselves but i don't believe for example you know a two-year-old or a one-year-old or a baby whatever they've made no decisions whatsoever you know what i mean there's comes to a point when a child realizes they're running around naked there's a comes to a point where they you know I shouldn't have taken, I shouldn't have stolen this or did that or, you know, said that to my parents. Like you're well aware when you start to sin. So I think that it's in us to sin. We're going to sin. There's no question about it. But um, to, original, I'm not really sure how I look at that, you know, if that's true or not, but that's how I see it. So I do think we're all sinners. You know, I mean, there's no saving ourselves either. Yeah. I would say original sin is a very, it's a very serious doctrine to come down on the right side of. So to deny original sin would be, um, I'd say, putting one outside of the, the biblical Christian faith. Because of it, think about this. What are the What is the wages of sin? What does the Bible tell us that the wages of sin is? It's death. Death. So if a child, if a baby has not sinned, then why does that baby die? And if we say, well because Adam sinned and it brought death into the world. But if death is the wages of sin and that individual does not sin, why does that baby, not born a sinner, why then does that baby die? Because we are all inherited that, that federal headship, that covenant head from Adam. So because Adam is the covenant head of all mankind, we are born sinners in him. Now we do act out upon that sin. There comes a time where we then do yeah. act upon it but we are born sinners by our very nature. The Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath in Romans. It says that we uh, are, are dead in our sins and trespasses. Um, we go astray from the womb, you know, speaking lies. Um, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so when we, when we look at the reason that we see babies dying, there's this original sin that is carried over from Adam. And then on the flip side of that, 
those who are then in Christ, those who believe, and obviously we have a difference of how one gets there, whether it's by their own free will of choosing God or God intervening and, and bringing them to that point by the drawing, um, Christ then becomes the federal head of those individuals. They don't earn it. They don't do anything. But now they're under the covenant headship of Christ. So everyone is under that covenant headship of Adam. And because of that, we're all born sinners. And then those who come to, to faith in Christ, those are now under the headship of Christ. So we don't do anything to deserve it, yet we still, we are righteous because of Christ's righteousness, not of our own. But uh, he yeah. clothes us in his righteousness, right? right? So that's a very important thing that I would say to consider because original sin is a, is a serious uh, theological, um, well, it's a serious position biblically, I think. Mike, is there anything you would add to that or? Well, I guess I have a question for Drew kind of on that same lines. Um, Cause obviously Ricky is kind of presenting what would be the, the covenant view. Um, do you think there is a covenant in Genesis two that's broken in Genesis three and that Adam is acting as the federal head as his name would kind of denote of all of mankind. I mean, I think that the spiritual or the, the dead, you shall surely die. I would think that's spiritual, um, which is why we're disconnected from God uh, spiritually until we're born again of the spirit, you know? So that's the way I would see that. I don't think that. Um, is that, I guess. Sorry. I, no, I mean, I guess, but is that when God tells him that, is he making a covenant? When he tells them what? not to eat of the fruit, lest you shall surely die or in dying, you shall die. I mean, it's a, it's a command. He's giving them, okay, you shall um, not eat of it, lest you shall surely die. He's telling them what's going to happen. Well, they didn't die on the spot physically. They died spiritually. I mean, that's, I, I think that that's but, pretty simple. Well, one and, of the other things. Whole scripture sorry. that way, you know, sorry. everything's about spiritual. Everything's about the spirit. If you're not of the spirit, you're not born again. With, you don't have the Holy Spirit. All these different things about the spirit. Um, eternal life. That's, it's all spiritual. I don't think that that's necessarily has to be physical. Well, there was no okay. there was no death before the fall, right? And so right. one of the other things, Mike, I, I'm don't forget where you are, Mike. I'll let you jump in. One of I have the, like the a line of too. questionings I was going Okay. On. Okay. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. No, just to I mean just to kind of push a little bit more. Obviously I have my views on this. Um but if it's a spiritual death, what ramifications that have for mankind? Like what, if it is a spiritual death and that it separates us and from God is it correct. I mean, I mean, you would say that, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What I guess kind of pointing towards thinking about total depravity. Cause I think obviously for Tulip, this is the cornerstone in which it all falls into place. What implication then does of all mankind if they are now spiritually dead? We're all separated from Christ, from God, aren't we? Is that I mean, it's, isn't that the death of the death of Christ was to uh, to save all mankind? Well, it's not saving us from physical death. We're all dying, so spirit from a spiritual death i don't have all the answers about everything either but uh yeah. i look at but, it as spiritual. Yeah. i do think it's spiritual when it, we're talking about that death and and being dead in your trespasses you're dead spiritually and just okay. like adam and eve died spiritually that day god saved them that day when he called to them and they responded that's but they physical death, physical death was also a part of that fall, a part of that spirit, that well, death. Yeah, because if there was, 
Yeah, if there if there is no physical death, are you saying that there was physical death before the fall? It's part of the curse of the fall. And so when we when we say, I'll let you speak that. Um, no, go ahead. When we say when we say that death was this result, okay. So you have physical death as well as spiritual death, and physical death then began from that point. They began to decay over time. They began to, like us, when we're born, we're just kind of going through and we live maybe 70, 75 years. Lord willing, we live to be a hundred and something. Piper said she wanted to live to be like a hundred and something, my little girl the other day, um, because we were talking about something. But anyway, um, so sometimes people do live that long, but they're ultimately dying over time. And so you have not only the spiritual death, but the physical death. And then also in that, we see the importance of original sin because in the, the cursing that Christ or that, that God gives to Adam and Eve in the garden, he says about the serpent um, seeking to be at war with uh, the, the, the seed, but that the seed would come and crush the head of the serpent and the seed would be of the woman. And so this is, again, another importance in why Christ doesn't have an earthly father, because he's born without that original sin. So that original sin is passed down through the, 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 the head of man, it passes down through man, through Adam being that covenant head, and then all mankind receive it. Christ born of a virgin doesn't receive that because it's not passed down through the man. He's born of a virgin, and so he doesn't have that original sin, and he does what the, he, being the second Adam, does what the first Adam did not do. Does that does that kind of yeah, so, maybe um, the the Holy Spirit came upon Mary? Is my reading remembering that right? Does that sound right? When he talks about uh, yeah. the Immaculate yeah. Conception, yeah. so it was the Spirit um, that brought Jesus into the world, not Adam. I agree. That's a hundred percent right. Um, but what was in the Garden of Eden with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The tree of life. Right. So what were they separated from when they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden? The tree of life. That, yeah, wh that Which is in Christ. So that's where yeah. we then have this. But I would say that the tree life. of life is what would have kept them alive physically. We are no we have no access to the tree of life so physical death ensues um so it's both physical and spiritual because they were kicked out so i don't see i have no problem whatsoever reconciling that, any of that and i do believe in a sense of original sin but i i just i guess i don't look at it the same way like i i see that all all men and women are going to sin you know I just don't see it the same way because I don't think that um, when, when Christ talks about come to me like these children and things like that, I think he's saying that there's an innocence there and, and um, a humbling there that they have in those children that otherwise you have to basically sort of say to yourself, um, uh, well, we don't know which babies God's going to save. Some of them are damned to hell. And some of them aren't, I guess. You'd have to look at it that way. Is that how you guys would think of abortion or infant death or kids who were, you know, below the age of five or something like that? Go ahead, Mike. I was reading that comment, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> so I know not everyone agrees, not even in reformed yeah, circles. So some would say um that we don't know um i think god being the just judge of all the earth he will do what is right and kind of thinking through the storyline of scripture and this is how i would hold to it and this would also be um other prominent evangelicals today that we see at least in the wilderness generation that was a there was a certain age in which they were not counted as the ones who are disobedient and were able to go see it go to the promised land 
And I think that shows God's goodness and that knowing that we develop now what that age is, who the Bible isn't clear. I don't necessarily agree with an age of accountability. Like if you hit this age, you're then accountable. And, and so to, to think about, so like with infant deaths and abortion, I personally believe we will see them in heaven that God's grace would give to him. I would also say the same for people who have had mental handicaps that don't have the, the capacity to know. And I think there's one thing to openly reject and to sin versus being one who is a sinner who has the nature of sin, as we would say, and the Lord being gracious and slow to anger shows compassion to them. Not that they deserve it, but because he is merciful and to, to think about kind of, that's how I present it. And John here on the comment where there's no law, there's no transgression. I think there's an aspect of that, that the transgressions of Abraham are different than the transgressions of Israel after Exodus 20, when the law is given to them and they pledge themselves in a covenant with God in the Mosaic covenant. And to, to think through those ideas, that's how I've landed. I think that's what best represents the biblical case. I know people disagree with me. Um, and that's kind of how I have thought through it. So even as like a Calvinist, um, that's what I think. What now I know Presbyterians might say, well, if they were part of the covenant community, then they're saved. Augustine said this, if they were outside of the covenant community, they're not saved. I just don't think scripture bears that out. Um, in, in that way, that's how I've, how I have thought through these questions, understanding God's nature and he wants and his desire to save because he is merciful and slow to anger. Um, even though they deserve the full wrath that they give because they bear the guilt of Adam. All right. So kind of talking about original sin here and we spent the majority of the time on it. We've got about 15 minutes left in the program. So let's kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll move a little, you know, somewhere else, but I do think that really does cover total depravity because it's the view of man's sin and how does that affect mankind? Um, and I mean, we'll tell you this straight up as Calvinist with the tulip uh, it's total depravity is the hinge by which everything else kind of goes together. And oh, yeah. so, so we have this this view here, but some of the other things I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we won't we won't spend a lot of time here, but I just want to know where you are on this. Do you believe that God knows all things? Yes. Okay, it's kind of what Mike was was attempting to ask. How do you know that, or what would you say is the reason behind God knowing these things? Does He know all things because He has decreed all things, that, or is it that He looks down the quarters of time and sees what man is going to do, and then therefore makes his decisions based upon that. I would lean towards the second one. I believe that God's not decreeing all things. And I think there's, um, there's some good scriptures that talk about God changing his mind due to, due to uh, people humbling themselves or nations humbling themselves, put, putting off his wrath or his judgment. Um, and there's, there's quite a few scriptures that talk, talk to that. So it sounds like God knows what's going to happen and can the way I see it is God is so powerful and sovereign. He doesn't need to decree all things. He doesn't need to make all our decisions for us. He's so powerful that he, he can bring about his purposes and his will through our decisions and our, our evil and our good decisions and our bad decisions. And I think that the Bible absolutely speaks to that uh both old and new testament um, 
Jesus talked about it. It's not my time. I'm not going to go to the feast because they're looking to kill me. And then didn't go with them and went a different way and uh, went to the temple. Or he would talk about it all the time. It's not my time yet. And then uh, he would say, don't tell these people. And then people would go tell somebody. And then you had to deal with the crowds and different things. So I think that um, God doesn't need to control our thoughts and actions full time to bring about what he's going to bring about. Um, he knows what we're going to do though. Yeah. All right. We got Pierce uh, Brown's comment here. He says, I've always seen the best example of the effect of the fall resulting in total depravity in Genesis six, five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And he says, that sure seems like it's total uh, when I read it. All right. So, um, one of the Pierce things I would my, caution. This is my buddy. I know. Oh, Pierce. is he? Okay. Is yeah, he a yeah. Calvinist? Uh, yeah, but he says he's not a, a full five point. He never told me which points he believed in. So yeah. Uh, All right. Total is one of them, say so. it. You're not five point. You're not a Calvinist. Just got yeah, right out I there. Know it. Me, that's what I said. Get I said, well, there. you got to take all five or forget it. Uh, one one of the I things would say, I would. Well, one of the things ahead. I would also caution you on here too is because like the denial of original sin, the the logical consistency of one who denies all five points of Calvinism, right? And and again, you said you're familiar with it. Tulip was only a reaction to the Arminians' five points, and they were saying, look, these things are wrong, these are radical, and here's five points to counter that. Um, but one of the, the dangers is going into what is known as open theism, uh, where you believe that God doesn't know all things. And even when you think about answering the, or he's asking those questions, um, what the Bible gives us at times is anthropomorphic language or anthropopathic language, yeah, where God that. is speaking to us in such a way to explain to us something in a human kind of understanding. Um, not so much that God is doesn't know. Uh, when the Bible says God changed his mind, the Bible also says that is God a man that he should change his mind or that he uh, or the son of man that he should repent. Isn't is that right? Mike, am I saying that right? Um, or the son of man that changed, something along those lines. Yeah. I have to look it up. But um, but so it's a, it's one of those things I would caution to really consider that it's not because it also then would be saying that God is learning because he's looking down the quarters of time and seeing what man would do and then responding based upon man's actions rather than God already knowing all things. It's kind of it's it's one of those things you can respond to that and then um, Mike well, if you just, have anything uh, then we'll move on to to limited atonement real quick. I just wanted to talk about the total depravity real quick and I wanted to read sure. this um, from Psalms fifteen one through five. He says, "Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor." nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But, but he who honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put out his money at, an, at ursery, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Um, that's not a person who's totally depraved. I mean, the Bible, I have... I have a lot of verses here. Obviously, we're not going to be able to get to them all. I wish we had 10 hours. We may to talk have to about. do a, a why Calvinism is bad part two. <laughs> yeah, I agree because it's hard because I want. And to, then a three and then to, a four. <laughs> I wanted to give you my, 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 my kind of my points as to like the things sure, that sure. I feel like it does. Um, and then give you some scriptures that I would point you to to say, this is why I think that, not just whatever random thoughts I have in my head that are subjective to my feelings, you know? Right, so. Right. He's saying, who does these things? It's the, the righteous person. There talks about righteous people, and those are the people who um, do not harden their hearts. God talks about hardening hearts and different things. So totally depraved, I don't take that as we're totally depraved. I think we are sinners. I mean, we are sinners, but totally depraved or totally unable to respond, I think, uh, that's, you can't really prove that from some of those texts because there's too many that say otherwise that, uh, you know, who's who's doing good? It's those who trust the Lord with all their heart, who 
who fear the Lord, who love the Lord and obey the Lord. Those are the people that he um, saves. That's And that's Old Testament and New Testament. They're, they speak of them in the same way. So, um, well, with, with, Psalm, really yeah, with, with Psalm 15 there, it's a Psalm of David who was, uh, who had the spirit upon him. Um, and the Bible also says in Romans, there's none righteous, no, not one, which is a quote from the old Testament that there is none righteous. So the idea we would have to then reconcile scripture. What does it mean when we're talking about a righteous person who is righteous? The only righteous is Christ. No one can live up to that righteousness. No one can can earn that righteousness. It is only Christ who is is the righteous one. Um, and so I think that is oh, Christopher Connors on here. <laughs> <laughs> Got How you doing, brother? Yeah, I did. He's trying to he's a non-Calvinist friend of ours. And he's saying, come watch my show. Uh but uh, I'll put it up there, brother. We, we're, we're always willing to have more conversations if you want. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so so that's one thing that I, again, I would look at and say, well, the Bible is not, there's no contradictions in the Bible. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Okay. Um, but It's just passages that we then have to try to reconcile. Because when it sure, says so righteous and then the Bible says none is righteous, we have to look at the scriptures as a whole to try to reconcile what is being stated there. Here, this 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 is from Second Chronicles twelve five through seven. Um, I may not say this right. Shemaiah, the prophet, came to Rehoboam, the leaders of Judah, who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, "Thus says the Lord: You have forsaken me, and therefore I have, I also have left you in the hand of Shishak." So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, "The Lord is righteous." Now, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Um, it says they humbled themselves. God changed his mind to not uh, pour out his wrath through Shishak. However, that is delaying the inevitable but here you have god condemning them them humbling themselves and then him withdrawing withholding his judgment and his wrath uh for a period of time so i i would say i don't know how you you reconcile scriptures like this and this is just one of many scriptures i can't reconcile this as a calvinist but i can reconcile the calvinist um scriptures that you would most likely use uh another way without contradicting god and and his uh his word so that is one reason why you know god's not the author of confusion it gets real confusing when you read stuff like this and you say well then god had to have humbled them well, yeah, I, I would say he it is God ultimately that humbles God, because we're, we're talking in the context of God is speaking to his people that are under a theocracy, under his sovereign rule. He is the king of Israel, the, the ultimate king of Israel. Um, so we do see one of the things I think um, that is often misunderstood when it comes to Calvinism or Reformed theology. While it could be because there are some people who don't understand Calvinism that claim to be Calvinist and they will teach these things, we don't believe that man doesn't have a will or that man doesn't make choices. The Bible teaches us that God is the one who decrees all things from beginning to end, from end to beginning, but he also he is not the author of sin. He doesn't cause man to sin. So you again, you're trying to reconcile these things in Scripture. And so while God is the one who decrees, has a purpose and plan that he has set forth before the foundation of the world, this is what the decree is meaning, that he has this purpose, this plan that he has set forth before the foundation of the world, he also uses the means by which man operates and does things to bring about these purposes, to bring about his will. Um, and it's this divine will. We, we see this in um, our confession, which is a confession, but it's based upon the scriptures to teach about God's decree. Um, but it is that man does make choices. This is why man is responsible. 
where we say man doesn't have the free will, we're saying man doesn't have the will to come to God of his own free will. And the Bible tells us that when you look at John 1, 12, it says all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And then it goes on in verse 13 and it says, it's not of the bloodline. So it's not being born of Abraham that makes you a child of God. And then it says, it's not the will of the flesh, which means it's not by your works. It's not by you trying to earn it and achieve it. And then it says, it's not by the will of man, but it's of God. It's this, when we get to John, this is chapter one. He says, this is a, a, a move of God. You get to John chapter three, the Bible tells us that um, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. The, the spirit can, or the flesh cannot bring forth spirit. It can't. First um, Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. He's dead. He can't understand it. So what we are saying is that, yes, man is making choices. They can't choose to come to God of their own free will because they're, they're dead. God has can to they, do a work there. And they, can they respond to God? Only if God first initiates that and regenerates their heart to do okay. so. And in the, the Old Testament, we're that, talking about an Old Testament system where the Spirit of God was not in the hearts of believers. Well, I guess you can have some people that have a differences in this as well. But like, there's something new that happens at the day of Pentecost when the Spirit is set forth after Christ comes. The Spirit comes and dwells within us. Whereas in the Old Testament, this is why David says, take not your spirit from me, because the Spirit would be upon them for them to do those acts, for them to do to, to respond humbly before God, because an unregenerate man won't do that apart from the Spirit of God working in him, because the total depravity didn't change in the Old Testament or the New Testament, right? So would you I know say it's a God lot has, there. You would say that God has to grant you the Holy Spirit first before you can have faith. Yeah, we we we've done some shows and we've talked about uh, regeneration preceding faith. But let's like if you look at John six, you're probably familiar. Maybe you're you're familiar with this passage. Okay. Yeah. When you go to John six, John six thirty seven, it says, "All that the Father gives me will come to me." And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All right. And then he goes down and he says in verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks upon the son or looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day. And then he goes on and says in verse 44, because now they're grumbling. And he says, no one can come to me. No one can come to me. That's a that's an exclusive claim that Jesus is making. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. And then he goes on to say uh, in verse uh, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And it goes on to say, for Jesus knew from the beginning whose those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. So, I mean, I think the passage is clear and you may have your interpretation of it and, and we can, we can talk about that. But I think the passage is clear that no one can come to Christ. No one can come to the father except through Christ, through him. And yeah. only ones that come are the ones that have been given to him by the Father. And all that he has been given to him by the Father, he will raise it up. So that would make me then ask this question, because people often will say they don't believe in limited atonement. I don't know you well enough, but I don't think you believe in universalism, right? Do you believe people I, go to hell? or? or... Well, yeah, of course, people okay. go to hell. I do believe that says he died for the sins of the world um well we would and he also says he draw he wants is you know the will of the father that all men come to the saving knowledge of him so um you know those are all proof texts you know what i mean um because if you take them in their context that sometimes you can draw a different meaning from them once you understand the context of them um but i think if if you're saying that you have to his regeneration comes through the spirit right yeah. Okay. 
So if you have, do you, are you saying like, just for clarification, are you saying that it, it, from your position, it doesn't come through the spirit? No, it does come through the spirit through faith by, by, through faith by grace, you receive the Holy spirit. Um, So then the the deciding factor, just for clarification, Drew, the, the deciding factor is what then man or God, because if you have two people, we can't save ourselves. Okay. But we can respond to God's call to him. That's what I'm saying. I don't believe we, in any sense of the word, can save ourselves. It's impossible, okay? But we can respond as evidenced throughout the entire Bible. Um, and then like here in Acts 2, thir- uh, oh, I lost it. Acts 2, uh, 38, real quick, he says, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So and every time you see this, it's in this order. It's not in the other order, which you have to have it in the reverse order, but we don't see that in scripture. So it presents a problem to say you have to have that first, but then get it after you repent and turn away and put your faith and trust. I mean, the whole New Testament is full of believe, come to me, abide in me. Um, there's all these things that he says to us, Jesus says to us, Paul, the apostles, you basically have to ignore them all because not everyone can do that. So why say that to people if they don't have that ability? Um, unfortunately, you know, you could we could talk about this for hours upon end because there are unfortunately, I really actually didn't get to make any of most of the points I wanted to make. Um so unfortunately, there's a lot, of, which was, you know, it was a great discussion. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. Well, I, had, well, like, I would like to, to, to yeah, I, I would like to say, hey, if, if you're willing, we can set something up for a part two of this. Um, you know, I was serious about that when I mentioned it earlier and yeah, we can absolutely. continue this dialogue. And and next time we'll, 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 we'll look at some of the, the, the scriptures that you have. You know, I think what we can do is you give me some of the scriptures you want to discuss and we can we'll talk about those. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, so yeah, yeah. They're saying part two, part two. All right. So that's good. They're, they want to see it too. All right. That's good. To, good I, I, to know. I enjoy it. You know, um, so yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely is. Like Mike had said earlier, this has been a debate that has gone on for many, many years within the, the church throughout church history. We've seen this debate. Um, and so we didn't think that in an hour's time we were seeking to like, while we would it. like to persuade you, uh, but, um, there is a lot. And so I think this was more of a, cause we've have not had a conversation you and I, other than a few, uh, yeah, very, messages very to kind of set up, Hey, let's do this. So I didn't know where you was coming from or what you was going to present and whatnot. And so I want to be able to give you that opportunity to present some of those passages. So I think next time what we'll do is, is you shoot me some of those, those texts that you sure. want to talk about and we'll set it up to where we just focus and stay focused on those yeah. texts and whatnot, so we can uh, manage the time. Um, Mike, anything you would want to add, and then Drew will give will give you a, a final word as well. Would it be appropriate to go choose your choice mates? Just saying. Anyone? The what? Never mind. The choice meats. He's making a late flowers joke. I am. The choice so. meats. I've seen that. I saw that in the uh, comments. That was great. The choice meats. I was like, I gotta so. use that. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, um, hopefully this was a fruitful discussion for our listeners. I know John on YouTube, um, while I disagree with him. I think he said things, we're heretics. <laughs> I don't know if he... All three of us or what? No, us Calvinists. No, he's... Yeah, oh, no. Ricky I, myself. That, uh, yeah. So, as, as uh, some are saying on facebook wait why is calvinism bad we never get to, i tried to like move that we kind of buried the lead a little bit we might have to rechange the yeah we, the title we got, but it's easy to do points. it was a lot yeah points yeah the why i think it's bad but unfortunately yeah we started yeah, talking but, about total depravity and that would just eat up all the time so yeah but just to you know got an hour we're going a little bit over an hour um not once did we get mad or angry i think it is that that spirit that we tried to say at the beginning that furthers these discussions when we 
when we think about theology and community and to have these discussions and obviously um, you have your cage stage Calvinists and there's probably same thing with those who are non-Calvinists, whether Arminian or provisionalism or, or Andoralianism or whatever they have in belief. Um, but that these conversations are good. And just for our listeners, I hope you were edifying and edified that we can discuss these things. There is a lot more I wanted to get into on things that he has said, but I mean, hours fast, especially when we're having these type of big discussions um, with it. So Drew, thanks for coming on the show. And that is my last 10 cents. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Drew, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, Any final thoughts or comments you want to make that maybe you didn't get to get out there and. (laughs) I mean, not that I'm able to make a pointer, um, but thanks for having me on. Um, I'd love to do another, another session, you know, um, like you said, let's, um, I'll send you some of these verses as to, you know, why I think um, uh, it's bad for, for the body of Christ. I think that it, it, it's diminishing in, in many ways, um, God's character and um, the love of Christ that we should have for each other. Um, I see this a lot um, with the comments and things that I'll see and read. You know, you saw it um, on your thread on the, the post. Um, there's a lot of things that get thrown out there. Um, I think as brothers in Christ, we need to be careful how we use the word heresy, um, because to me, the defining um, thing that makes us Christians is is our belief and faith in the finished work of Christ um, and as him as king and Lord over our lives. And he does that. He does the saving work, not us. So, you know, all these little differences. I mean, I, some people think of them as bigger than others. And I, I have my own views on a lot of them, but I don't think they should separate us or bring us to say things about each other that we we're not in the position to say God's doing the judging. Um, and yeah, you'll know them by you'll know them by their fruit um you know so uh, just be careful with how we um talk to each other and say things i think i would say yeah well all right that's uh been g220 radio for tonight uh we will seek to set up a part two and go from there uh but until then um have a great night i'm trying to think what's on the schedule for next week uh we're gonna do like our reformed gift christmas gift guide Oh yeah, that's that's what's coming up. We should do a ugly yeah. Christmas sweater thing too. I have an ugly Christmas okay. sweater. I'm gonna have to go to Goodwill and see if I can find one. Uh, All right. Apparently, there's none left. So. Oh, probably not. Yeah. Well. I guess right. I might take one. Lie. Yeah. All right. That's been G220 Radio for tonight. Until next time. God bless and good night. Mm-hmm.